1: Next reel, everybody, I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. This is my voice. And we hmm. spoil movies. Tonight is the show. <laughs> that should not have struck me as funny as it did. Well done. <laughs> Tonight of the show, we're continuing our series of trans movies with Duncan Tucker's 2005 film *Trans America*. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at TheNextReal.com. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or join us on YouTube and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at TheNextReal. And if you've ever struggled to find the voice you want to use... Then you are more than welcome to try your hand at the Next Reel's Instagram hashtag GuessTheMovieChallenge.
0: And since Games Master Stephen Smart is busy working on his master's degree as a peyote shaman, I'm here to report the winner. The movie was 1955's To Catch a Thief, directed by Alfred Hitchcock and starring Cary Grant and Grace Kelly. The winner was Ad Fegfee, who figured it out on Image 3. Congrats! And we got a blot spot in front of the show. Ben Lott wrote in with his uh, rebound on. Jeez, uh, what did we talk about last week? Uh, Priscilla, who's Priscilla? Desert. Yes. Yeah. What a charming film! The characters are so well established, and each one has their own moments to shine. My favorite aspect of this film is how it constantly defied all cliche when it came to gay or transgender characterizations. It was unfortunate that the movie did fall into cliche with Cynthia. And the genius of the son who is too good to be true was that it turns a mirror on any prejudices in the viewer and forces people to ask why they have problems with some something this young boy can accept so readily. Your rank 67, my rank 91. Uh, according 91. to him, it had some tough matchups. Otherwise, it might have ended up a little higher.
1: That Cynthia thing has aged even poorly for me, uh, more poorly for me over the last week.
0: Yeah, it's it really, it's just... You know, it's such a great film to have that uh, that moment. It just yeah. really pains me. I mean, I'm sure they could have found another way to get uh, Bill Hunter's character to join them. Yeah, that was it. All right. Andy, it's time.
1: Let's do trailers.
0: <laughs> yeah, did we both do, we both sort of did monster movies this week? Kind of. Kind of. I guess right? so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, monsterish. Different takes on monster movies, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I didn't even know
0: yours was coming. I had never heard of it. I hadn't either. I just... It was one of those trailers that I watched a trailer, and it was on the side of YouTube as another, you know, check one of these out. Yeah, right. I was like, oh, what's this trailer? And I I looked at it. Um, My trailer this week is American Fable, which is a new film that's coming out uh, that... It you know it looks kind of like a different sort of uh, Pan's Labyrinth sort of story, right? It's kind of got this fairy tale aspect. This young girl who, um, you know, is living kind of this this regular life, but kind of finds this this uh, connection to something that seems a little uh, a little maybe not magical, but it, it seems like it's from another another realm or something. Uh, you get a mysterious being kind of on a horse with big horns, uh well, being with big horns on a horse, kind of riding a- around in the fields. Um, clearly there's some family trouble. You're kind of trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Are these two worlds connected? Uh somehow her brother seems tied into it. So I, I don't really get a good sense of what the movie is watching the trailer, but I find it really interesting to look at and if it if it holds up even remotely with Pan's Labyrinth then i think it's going to be a really interesting watch Pan's Labyrinth wasn't one of my favorite films but i did find it incredibly compelling to watch and uh, you know this may just fall into that too where i may not fall in love with it but it could be just a, a visual feast, a really interesting thing to watch. What do you think of this one?
1: But you know what, I I was I, I thought it looked really good, and um, you know it, it gave me that same feeling that uh, the trailer for Monster Calls uh, gave me, right? It was that that sense of there is something really foreboding about this story that I feel like I've seen before, and uh, I I thought it looked great. And at the end of the trailer, when she looks at herself in the mirror, and man, she has <laughs> horns! That was right. so cool. That was a great moment in that trailer. What a wonderful Wonderful uh, little twist at the end. So I thought it was a really, it was a well-cut trailer. It was, it was, uh, had a great sense of kind of pacing and I was really connected with it. I thought it
0: was great. It's directed by Anne Hamilton, who uh, really has a pretty small filmography. I mean, really just a couple shorts. And then this, this is kind of the, uh, the first feature uh, for her, and so uh, I'm, yeah, I'm curious to see exactly how this one ends up getting received. This one, um, I, just to read the, I'll read the IMDb plot summary, so at least you get a sense of what this is. When eleven-year-old Jitty discovers that her beloved father is hiding a wealthy man in her family's silo in order to save their struggling farm she is forced to choose between saving the man's life or protecting her family from the consequences of their actions American fable is a fairy tale thriller set in the 80s rural Midwest about a courageous little girl living in a dark sometimes magical world so it looks interesting it looks very interesting. I like it yeah. When's
1: it uh, when's it come out
0: this one is gonna be uh, it's it's playing at some festivals uh, and it's gonna have a very, uh, I think it's going to be limited release mid February, February seventeenth, right now, and that's it. Nowhere else.
1: I uh, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be good. My trailer is uh, kind of keeping on the weird train. Is Colossal? Uh, this is a new film written and directed by Nacho Vigalondo. Uh, stars Dan Stevens, Anne Hathaway, Jason Sudeikis, Austin Stowell, Tim Blake Nelson, and according to Wikipedia, but not IMDb. Simon Pegg. I don't know what to think about that. I know. Are you more intrigued now than you were before?
0: (laughs) Yes, I am always with him.
1: I, I am intrigued uh, to the point of—I uh, was intrigued to the point of, you know, curiosity. It looks like a really clever kaiju movie, you know, kaiju, now that that's in our in our uh, vernacular around these monster movies. Uh, it, it is the giant monster is terrorizing a, 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 a major city. And in fact, uh, this movie got in trouble because in its promotional work, the initial uh, uh, promotional <laughs> emails that they sent to the press, they used all, uh, stills from God. Godzilla. Uh, and so Toho uh, brought a lawsuit against Voltage Pictures for using Godzilla's image in their own promotional materials for Colossal because they hadn't finished the uh, the monster yet. <laughs> I, I, You know, I don't know what if that bodes well uh, or, or not for the film, but it, the whole story is that Anne Hathaway, after dealing with some trauma in her own life, uh, wakes up to discover that everything she does, all of her movements, uh, every, every mo- little move she does is actually connected to this giant kaiju on the other side of the world and so when she swings her arms around in her house it destroys a building uh in this major city i think that is so clever and uh, f- a-, a clever little twist and it it nearly explains every other giant monster movie i've ever seen like i wa- i now want to see who Godzilla was actually uh, attached to in the first <laughs> Godzilla movie, right? So uh, I'm very curious about it. I don't know much about Nacho Vigalondo. He is from Spain. Uh he's he did uh, Open Windows and um uh, or at least he wrote Open Windows and uh, The ABCs of Death from 2012. I did not see any of those. Uh he's he's done a, a a number of things that I haven't seen and I you know a lot of horror-y stuff that I naturally wouldn't see. So um you know we'll see. I don't know what did you think of it?
0: Well, Time Crimes is the big one that I know that he did. And Time Crimes it's one of those uh time travel movies that's been on my list forever because I've heard nothing but great things about it. That's where the guy goes back in time uh accidentally and goes back um an hour or something and then it's 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 such a small thing but some you know it just creates all sorts of crazy consequences and it's supposed mm-hmm. to be uh, just a really great uh time travel movie. And um and then of course, yeah, like you said, ABC's a death, he did the segment A is for Apocalypse. Um and he's he's done a lot of those sorts of things. I have a uh I don't know, I, I don't have a good sense of him as a director, but um this trailer looks really fun. And I do also love the idea. And it's one of those things where it kind of hinges on the premise. And if if the premise ends up working in the film, it could end up being a really fun film. If you can't buy into the premise, it might just fall apart. But I really want to give it a try because uh, it just it, I, I kind of love it. So I <laughs> I totally, right?
1: I, I <laughs> want the premise to redefine movies in this genre for me. That's what I want. I am so rooting for that. Uh, that it will be disappointing if it doesn't. It opened at the Toronto International Film Festival in September of yes last year. It hit uh, the San Sebastian Film Festival in Spain, Fantastic Fest in in September. So you may have seen it in uh, you know in late two thousand sixteen. Uh, we won't get a wide release. Actually, it just as we record this, it just opened a few days ago at Sundance. Uh, it, it will uh, not open wide for us until April seventh, twenty seventeen so um we got a little wise to wait unless you're in russia february 23rd it opens in russia uh so get in line our russian friends comrades
0: there you go they're big kaiju fans apparently
1: you know what i hear i hear that kaiju is big in russia
0: it's chernobyl Mm. that's that's what did it
1: it is chernobyl that's right (laughs) andy my dog book was in that car was ready
0: to change her
1: looks. Medical procedures to date. The usual electrolysis, three years of hormone therapy, and a facial feminization surgery.
0: And ready to change her life. After my operation, I will be a woman. But the one thing no one can change is the past. I got a phone call last night It claimed to be Stanley's son. No third person. Mm-hmm. My son. <laughs> Me, Toby Wilkins.
1: Jesus the reformer. It's one of these churches that sends missionaries out.
0: No, I'm
1: from the Church of the Potential Father. Trans-America, Andy, 2005 film, written and directed by Duncan Tucker. Stars Felicity Huffman, stars Kevin Zegers, Elizabeth Pena, Graham Greene, Fiannula Flanagan, Burt Young, Carrie Preston, and Rainer Shine, among other talented folks. Uh, This is is the story of a a pre-surgery transgender man and she wants to... She's going to become a woman, but it's a ticking clock. She's going to have her surgery on Friday. She's got to tell her son the story of her life and work it all out before she can have the surgery. I had never seen this movie. It's another transgender road movie. Right. I got to tell you, Felicity Huffman was amazing. Amazing.
0: Yes. How'd it hit you? Uh, yeah. I mean, Felicity Huffman is... I, I. I don't want to say that she's the reason to see this film, but... If you're not interested in seeing this film, uh, you should watch it just to see Felicity Huffman in just a a really is a career defining role. I mean, she's just so um, amazing in her performance here. And, you know, this is a film that for me, I mean, there may, I may have some issues with the film, but I I, I think for me, what I really like about this film is it gave me a better sense of uh, transgenders and just kind of the, just kind of the loneliness of their world and kind of the difficulty with everything and connecting with things. And, you know, I really like all of that. And so I really enjoy it. I love the characters and I have a great time with this film.
1: You know, I I do too. I, there is a fairly significant challenge that I have with the film, um, but it it, it it's dis, it's isolated, right? It's an isolated section of the film that I really struggle with and brings kind of the whole thing down. I also think that that without Felicity Huffman, I you said you know I don't want to say that this is the only reason to see, I actually do want to say this is the reason to see this film because if you take Felicity Huffman's performance out of this film, it's just another road movie uh, for me, right? It's it's There, there's nothing in here that necessarily surprises me. uh, That, that necessarily, you know, shocks me. That I learn necessarily, uh, you know, without, without her, um, uh, it's, it's. Pretty much plays by the, the rule book of, of road movies. Uh, and, and I, you know, I guess I would be entertained. I'm stunningly entertained by her. You know what, Andy? In so many ways, this reminded me of Marianne Cotillard in La Rose. And my feeling about that film was very similar that without her performance in this film, it, is, it, it, it doesn't shine quite so brightly, and, and it, it's a little bit more pedestrian, and I sort of felt that way here. Uh, the other performances, with the exception of, of Toby Ziegler, um, that's not his name. <laughs> that's the name <laughs> Kevin, of the uh, chief of staff there. in the <laughs> West Wing, Kevin Ziegler's. <laughs> <laughs> with the exception of Kevin Zegers uh, as her son, I, I think it, who was also fantastic, uh, everything else was felt felt sort of flat to me. So um, I, I absolutely agree with you, and I think her performance really allows you to to at least allows me to sort of open the book on the the transgender experience in a way that I have have never really come in touch with. I, I feel educated as a result of watching. Her transformation in this film, and and I haven't felt that way in in a long time. Um, you know, uh, about a uh, felt like something has made that that much of an impact on me and the way I perceive uh, culture. You know, that that was a pretty big awakening for me.
0: Well, and I think the strength is, um, yes, we're we're getting a lot of really interesting things about the world of being a a, a transgender. About you know this this character who uh, Stanley who wants to or is in process of becoming a woman because uh because he was born and always identified as a woman. And so we get that story. We're kind of mid and mid in media rest, essentially, right? I mean he's in the process of of this transformation. He's already a she, uh, just has to get this final uh final surgery. But um what I think the real strength is, is that there's so much more going on here. It's not just showing us how lonely it can be uh, to be a transgender person, this is just about a person who is has kind of insulated herself in this life uh, because she's kind of closed off her, you know, cl- closed herself off to the world um, for reasons that I'm sure are related to being trans, but also just other reasons. I mean, she clearly just has. Um, has issues and, and has a hard time identifying. And what I love about this is this really becomes this character story where we get to just really understand this human and how she goes through life and the difficulties she has in in connecting with parts of her past. And I th- I found that really interesting. And the nature of uh, choices that she makes over the course of the story that end up just kind of uh, affecting and influencing the way that things change over the course of the story. I, I really think that's it, it, one of the reasons that Brie ends up becoming um, such a, a an amazing character to watch, aside from the fact that Felicity brings uh, an incredible performance to it.
1: Yeah, I I'll absolutely agree with you on on all of those points, and I think in fact the curiosity of her uh, emotional, her mental condition, right, her relationship with her therapist. There are a number of roads that part in this film, and you're never quite sure. Uh, I don't think you can never ever really trust uh, what you're what you're getting on screen, right? She's going through this transformation, but she has other other issues, you know, around her ability to social to to be social in the world and um, and so up until the surgery there is I, I'm left being so curious uh, about, um, you know, whether or not really, I mean, they plant the seed of of whether or not she's really resolved or or this is just another thing that she you know, she's gonna change her mind about later. Um, and and so you're you're left thinking, wow, she she maybe is just a damaged person. The reward of her transformation, and ultimately when she gets the reassignment sort of surgery, she has the 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 surgery, is that you see a visible change in how she approaches the world and, and in the little sequences of how she relates to other people in the restaurant. Like, she is clearly a different person. And uh, for me, I found that enormously satisfying that they didn't leave me with that uncertainty at the end. I felt totally resolved that this was the right thing for her to do. In spite of all the mistrust baggage that they brought to me leading up to that point, this was the right thing.
0: I, I thought a really interesting and very subtle uh, piece of storytelling that that uh, Duncan used to do that. At the beginning of the film, when she's working, you see her working at this Mexican, this little kind of hole-in-the-wall Mexican restaurant. She's working in the kitchen. She's behind the scenes cleaning dishes. Yes. At the end of the film, she is now a waitress. She's in a different outfit, and she's actually going out in front and interacting with people. To me, and learning that, Spanish. To that said everything. Yeah. It, it, it said so much in just that little tiny, that, the pairing of those two scenes. Really, I think that was really smart storytelling.
1: I absolutely agree. And this this definitely gets to uh, to the script. Uh, you know, Duncan wrote the script. And we should say, Duncan feels like he's this—I don't—one-hit-wonder I, seems disingenuous. But he hasn't done a lot of work.
0: No, he he—I he, mean, he is a one-hit-wonder. You can't argue because this is essentially the only film that he's ever done. But he um, shouldn't be. That's what I'm no, saying. You know, you exactly, should. I don't right. want to
1: believe that. Right? No. Like anybody who creates this character on the page deserves to be a multiple hit wonder. How about that?
0: I agree. <laughs> I hundred percent agree. <laughs> and I mean, it's not. It, it felt like a film that somebody who wasn't a first time filmmaker uh, was making. Like it didn't feel a, like straight out of the gate. Uh, I'm I'm figuring it out as I go along.
1: It's a very courageous story. Is very yeah. brave filmmaking. Uh, apparently, uh, as as the rumor has it, it came the the inspiration for the script uh, came from a conversation between Tucker and Catherine Canella, who was a roommate at the time, and and she's an intersex uh, actress herself. Uh, she and Tucker—this is, uh, is the quote. I think I picked this up on IMDb. She, she and Tucker were sharing a house in Hollywood at the time and were having a debate on male-female perceptions. She stopped the debate cold when she revealed that she was a hermaphrodite and had been wrongly raised— As a boy. Now, at the time, they had this conversation. They'd already been living together for four months. Uh, And so uh, that, I I imagine, would change the direction of the debate. Uh, The result of it uh, ends up being uh, this film and is sort of his exploration um, of, of that conversation on film.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it is very interesting uh, to kind of see how the the story kind of came and and Duncan talked about how you know he was a, a as a kid he was always somebody who loved um, stories about journeys and aside from the the journey that Brie has the internal journey she has to kind of. Um, find herself and move through um, uh, this journey she has to take internally um, it's a road movie and like you already said and and he said you know he loved stories like Lord of the Rings and so he always kind of saw this as Lord of the Rings tranny style with Frodo in a dress is <laughs> kind of how he described it <laughs> which is so
1: funny especially given uh, uh you know the speech the, the Toby's right. speech in the film about how gay Lord of the Rings is is <laughs> right. a
0: riot I know. It totally he bites is. off his
1: finger. Gollum bites off his finger.
0: Gay. So gay,
1: right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That totally anyway, sounds sorry. like a conversation that some idiot teenagers would have. <laughs> <doesn't it>? <laughs> totally. <laughs> but
1: isn't that so great? Because there are, and, and we'll talk about his performance in a bit, but the, in terms of his son, of, of her son, uh, that conversation is just yet a, a, another sort of milepost on the road to questioning the son's identity. Right. And and that he is also going on, on this sort of journey. And I thought that was really adept um, scripting.
0: I mean, I, I you know, the script, this is kind of we talked about kind of the road movie tropes last time. I mean, we have some of those here. We've got, you know, they've got the stop with the family. You've got tag alongs that run ins with strangers. Uh, it, it does, the car doesn't break down, but it does get stolen. There are a lot of those sorts of things. And so it does have that same sort of road movie pacing that, uh, that we end up with where, you know, it's very, uh, sequential. You go from this little bit to this little bit to this little bit. And, uh, you know, I think, um, I think some of them work better than others in this particular, uh, film, but, um, but on the whole, I thought that it, it worked pretty well for the most part. And I, I think really it's just because the, our two characters carry us through so well. And, uh, it's, uh, uh yeah, it's an interesting road <laughs> but- trip.
1: But you know what's interesting also about the road trip, and in terms of lists that Andy makes, uh, last week was the road trip tropes list. This week it was the world of transgender list, and I think that's a really astute point. Can you can you walk through the list of things that we explore that we didn't get to explore last week?
0: Well, and we don't we didn't even explore this, but Brie talks about this, like all the surgeries that she has had. Up to this point, all the all the different therapies and everything. So far, she's done electrolysis, three years of hormone therapy, facial feminization surgery, a brow lift, forehead reduction, jaw recontouring, a tracheal shave, and of course, then the the you know premise of this is she's waiting for her vaginoplasty. So I mean, that's a lot of work that that uh, a person puts themselves through to just find themselves. It's uh, I think that says a lot about. Uh, about the nature of what transgender people end up having to go through just to just to feel comfortable in their own bodies. I mean, we only got a tiny touch of that in uh, Priscilla when we have right. um, Bernadette uh, taking her her hormone pills for breakfast.
1: Right. Right right and and here i i think they so they set us up with this the the sort of weight of the of the i the world that sits in identity with brie right and all the stuff she has to go through and then they send us to this party where it it's the trans uh party in uh dallas uh where we get to see oh, you know they're they're all singing around singing uh, right. you know and they're having snacks and they're all in different sort of Places in their lives, and uh, and one of the trans uh, men uh, turns around and says, "You know, we we walk among you," and uh, that to me was a, a really sort of profound uh, punchline to the end of of the Bree story and the the weight of her identity and the uh, what she goes through to to achieve who she is. That uh, you know what what they struggle uh, to do is just fit in and all of this work is so that they can walk among you you know and and um, and and feel comfortable in their own skin i I thought it was a really powerful kind of thread
0: it really is and i think that builds to the to the final moments of the script when we have just that quiet moment of brie and toby just sitting down enjoying a beer together yeah, I, I think that's what it builds to, right? Of just being comfortable where you can just be yourself and be in a situation. In this particular case, now just being a family.
1: Understand that that was not uh, what the the studio was intending.
0: Yeah, you know, you know how studios are once you start getting people involved uh you know with financing and everything they felt the ending was just not mainstream enough and the fact that toby runs off and brie doesn't chase after him but she just like selfishly goes and gets her surgery and, and gets herself taken care of they felt that was just too independent too you know too uh not mainstream and they really wanted uh duncan to rework the ending so that it the, so that she did chase after him or something or or he came back to her uh, well, which he does, but I mean, in that particular moment, find a way to kind of resolve it there so that then we could have a, a much happier ending. And, you know, it it felt completely disingenuous. And so Duncan really fought against that and kept it the way that he did. And I think this is the way that it needed to end. I, I think that... That would have felt false for Brie to give up the surgery after waiting this long.
1: Equally rewarding is that Toby ended up in porn. You know, and, <laughs> and I don't mean that, I almost don't mean that as a joke, right? Like that is, uh, he had had said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out to LA and I'm going to, I'm a career minded guy. I'm going to have a career and I'm going to get into the movies. And only later do we realize he's actually talking all along about getting into porn and then he does. He runs off and he gets into porn. So when he comes to see her, he's like essentially promoting his next film. <laughs> I find that fan- <laughs> fantastic. Like wh- that is such a twist. Like it really could have been a rescue movie where she goes out to rescue him and puts off the thing. Cut to a year later. Eventually, she gets a surgery, and he is an upstanding college student. And it could have ended up as a happy. Uh, I, I think a happy Hollywood ending. I really, I, I would not, I absolutely would not have been satisfied with
0: that. No, this this is the ending. Even if it's like you know, it's kind of frustrating to see him just falling into the world that he was in. But yeah. I, I don't think that was what the story was about, right? It wasn't about her rescuing him. It was about her connecting with him and finding that 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 mother son slash father son bond, and and creating a relationship. And, uh, and just, you know, accepting that part of Stanley's life while she is now Brie and stepping into now kind of a mother role. And you've mm-hmm. got that great bit at the end when she's talking to Toby, um, and he, she's kind of letting him, uh, smoke in the house. She's letting him, you know, he, she's not saying anything about the porn and everything, but, don't you dare put your shoes on my coffee table, young man! <laughs> I thought that was great. It's like this is exactly yeah. like she's she's not turning away from that mother role, and uh, you know she even helps him open his beer at the end. Which is so cute.
1: So we mentioned that this guy is a, is a one hit wonder. I mean, where do we know where he is? Is he in New York? Is that? I mean, he's he's a, something of a photographer now. He's got a book out, but we have no idea what he's doing. Right.
0: Uh, yeah, it looks like he's, uh, you know, taking photos and doing exhibits in New York. And, uh, you know, he did publish a book. Um, was it Many Fishes or something like that? Many Fish? Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I don't really know a whole lot else about what old Duncan Tucker is working on. So um, it, it's just yeah, it's weird. He kind of he came and he made this movie and then he uh, went and disappeared. And and uh, who knows now?
1: How about uh, First Shot, Last Shot?
0: Yeah, we have the first shot on the television of Andrea James, um, a, uh, what would you call her? A kind of a, a coach
1: yeah, for I, people I, going I,
0: through the transgender uh, process or the tra- the transformation? The transgender voice coach. Right. So we have, it's a video of her doing her voice coaching, saying over and over, this is the voice I want to use. Holding up a mirror. She's pushing her tongue down with her finger. Really kind of practicing the tone, trying to find the voice, right? That's, that's how we open the film.
1: And the last shot, uh, Toby has returned to Bree in L.A. And uh, as we've already mentioned, they're sitting on the couch. I, I really like the, the last shot because it's actually an exterior shot looking into the house through um, uh, these, this partially sh- shrouded window as they are toasting their, their bottles of beer. And, and Bree helps him open his beer bottle.
0: I really liked the the pairing of these. It really this film is about finding your voice, and it's about um, f- you know really figuring out who you are. Obviously, uh, that's kind of a, a big theme of the film. But it, you know, Brie uh, is has to find this connection with the the Stanley part of her life in Toby, and you get Andrea James as kind of the vocal coach. This is the voice I want to use. This is my voice. This is my voice. And finally, at the end, we see Brie. She has fully transformed now and is in this place where she has found her voice and she has found her role and she fits now. And uh, I thought it was really nice.
1: I did too. It was a nice pair. Uh, it, it was a s- sort of a simple pair. and uh, I, But I, I particularly liked the, the uh, shooting in from the outside Um opened the home in a way that I found sort of metaphoric to her uh, relationship with the rest of the world, right? Because she, you know, she lived in the beginning of the film in such a, a hidden fashion, both socially and, and really practically, um, you know, letting some something, letting the omniscient cameraman gaze in through the window into her house opens up her world and show and, and I think demonstrates how how her she has changed in over the course of our hours together I thought that was really lovely absolutely casting uh, done by Eve Battaglia. Uh, obviously
0: landed felicity good old Felicity you know she's one of those actresses that I've seen in many many things Um uh, but she's just one of those people that I, I guess I haven't watched closely enough. I mean, she's been in. She, I think TV is really her big world, right? I mean, Desperate Housewives and uh, uh, what was the sports one that she did? Sports before Night. That? Sports, sports Night. night.
1: Sorkin. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, and then she did a what was the other one that she What's was the doing American more Crime. Recently? Yep. Right. Uh, yeah. The
1: American Crime. Right. That's the one uh, that uh, JJ went out to shoot. Oh,
0: that's right. That's right. Yeah. So she she is um uh definitely has a, a, a you know a good place uh, in the uh, world of TV but um even in film I mean I've seen her in a lot of stuff reversal of fortune um she was in the Spanish prisoner which I didn't remember um a bit part in magnolia and uh you know just a lot of different things and she still is working uh in and out she was in cake uh, a couple years ago yep. Um you know she's just one of those actresses that um I really enjoy watching but I just haven't seen tons of stuff of hers I guess.
1: Yeah, I for me I, the hit was always Sports Night just because it was so smartly written and she was such a smart actress in that show. Uh it, it was one of those that was absolutely punching above its its class. Uh, and I was disappointed to see it go. Desperate Housewives, I connected with a couple of seasons, but I it never really latched on like Sports Night did, and and uh, so it's it it's great to see her in these more sort of meaty roles. Uh, according to you know word on the set, uh, well, first of all, I I got to get it out there. As a man named Peter, she named her prosthetic penis Andy. And there you go. Now we both have nicknames for penises as our names. Who knew that would come out of this show?
0: Great. So glad, <laughs> so glad for that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, so oh, that funny. makes me so, so happy. Oh, I'm gonna work that into I it, the best thing that could come out of this show is that I can work that in and maybe shift the tide a little bit so I don't get so many Peter jokes. I told you I'm, that, right? How my, my them out all the time. My don't uncle used to introduce me. No. When when I was do. a little kid? Oh yeah, yeah. See. He said he would say if I was with my dad, he was my dad's brother, he would say, This is my brother Lloyd and this is Lloyd's little Peter. <laughs> He is a real uh, charmer. Oh man. my god!
0: Oh man! <laughs> anyway, so uh,
1: word is she stayed in in character all day? That that voice was hard to come by, and uh, once she found it, each day she couldn't drop it, or she reportedly lose it. Uh, and and so she was uh, she was in that character. That voice was amazing. Uh, did you find oh, that yeah. so?
0: I, I it was disarmingly good. That's, I think, a huge part of her transformation. I mean, she said she, she took 30 to 45 minutes each morning just to warm her voice up to get to that, uh, the, that lower octave. I mean, she was dropping, I think, a couple octaves is what they were saying. Uh, and to the point where, uh, aside from that and just all the other transformations she was making with the makeup and the wig and the clothes and everything, when they were showing this at Tribeca to, um, uh, to Harvey, Weinstein who knows you know she he's you know hangs out with Felicity and uh and Bill Macy uh he didn't even recognize Felicity for like the first 20 or 30 minutes until it finally it's just like oh man like it just it hit him that that was her <laughs> it's one of those transformations i mean that voice i mean this is one of those uh acting performances where um you know she really changes so much about herself and becomes this character. It really is just mind-boggling. So, yeah, the voice was just... Well, and and really beyond
1: amazing. the voice, the, the physical transformation, too. It's it's subtle and, in a way, very much not. Uh, she's She's not a tall woman... Uh, I I think, I'm not entirely sure how tall she is, but when I look at promotional pictures of her for other shows, she doesn't stand out as being overly tall. And yet, um, these, these tricks that they used in this film to make her appear taller, ganglier um m- more masculine the way she she moved changed and and the way she moved changed even throughout the context of the film you could see her transform from you know when she's she is like full of sort of energy and moving through the film as a woman when she's exhausted she gets much more sort of masculine and fatigued kind of butch the way she kind of slumbers her legs the way she walks her legs are further apart when she sits down uh, you know on on Toby's bed in his apartment she's she, her legs are totally spread and her arm, elbows are on her knees and she's just a you can you can feel the man coming out uh, and uh, that transformation w- w- was just amazing.
0: Um, I, I think it was smart. Uh, Duncan didn't want to cast a man in a dress. Um, when, Apparently, when he first offered the role to Fel- Felicity, she said she totally wanted the part. But she kind of, you know, just in her, I guess, naive understanding of the world of transgenders before she really uh, studied it um she's like well shouldn't it be a man playing this part and he kind of had to convince her that no it should be a woman i mean he's gone through enough transformations that at this point um it's it's going to feel like more woman than man so pretty interesting yeah
1: kevin Zegers as toby the son he starts out as a he's he's on the streets he's selling himself on the streets and he gets arrested in new york she has to go get him and bust him and bail him out of jail
0: He's a really interesting character obviously he's a, a broken character he's somebody who's been suffering uh, who had been suffering abuse at home and had left um, I, I really think that he's a really interesting character he's he's kind of gotten to this place because of the the abuse that he's suffered where he's just like sex is almost I I, I almost struggle trying to figure out does he enjoy sex or is it is it kind of like um, I'm gonna blank on the movie shame where it's just like he's got this 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 hypersexual state where it's like he has to have it but it's not something that he really enjoys anymore and it's just you know it's like he's he's clearly broken right i mean that was kind of yeah. my sense of him He's he's
1: it's like he's numbing out, right? I mean, it's just yeah. the world is is such for him that it it's too hard, and so the sex it makes it easier, just like the drugs. And and his relationship with the drugs is similar, right? He at, at one point he's sitting on the beach and he he snorts a little bit, and then he throws it into the sand at this in the same motion, right? He can take it literally, take it or leave it, and, and he doesn't know moment to moment which way he's going to be. I mean, it, it is great addict portrayal. I think he's he he does a a great job there. It, this. It's a really sort of dualistic role, too, around his, as I already mentioned, his relationship with his own identity, too. You wonder at the end of the film why he wants such a deep relationship with her. You know, at one point he comes on to her. He kisses her. This is while she's still, you know, physiologically a man. Uh, But, um, you know, he... He obviously demonstrates he wants something with her, some sort of attraction to her. He, he holds up her, her clothes to his body. He's touching them. He's exploring you know, these parts of, of her life as a part of his own. Um, and, and I think it, it, whether it's the drugs, it's the sex, it's the gender identity, I think Kevin Zegers uh, you know, acquits himself very well.
0: Yeah, a really fascinating performance, and I love that you just don't get simple answers. And I think that's the yep. strength of of uh, really for both of these characters. There are no simple answers, and like you already brought up, you don't get just a simple uh, happy ending where it's all written up uh, in a way where he's completely uh, you know cured of all of this, and now he's a, a upstanding college student. I mean, yeah, it's done. Uh, it's done really well.
1: No, no simple answers. There are no answers. You know what? I, yeah, I don't think right. the film ever makes a promise that that we're going to get an answer, and certainly doesn't deliver it. Um, uh, in his character, uh, Elizabeth Pena is Margaret, the psychologist. You know, she's a utility we, player.
0: We like her. She is, but we like her. We like yeah. that good old Elizabeth Pena. She's one of those actresses who I've just always liked, and you know, I mean, she's just not in enough. I mean, she was in Jacob's Ladder. I loved her in that. She's just so great. Ah, uh, she's in the Incredibles. I always forget that. So Mirage. I'd love for her to be in more, but yes, yes, exactly. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, she's she's a nice a nice uh, character in this particular film. She's she func- has a nice function. It's not a huge part though, like you said.
1: Graham Greene is another uh, not a huge part. Uh, his is a more interesting character for me, because he plays the, the straight, tough guy who falls for the trans character, right? And is this something we should look for as a trope in these movies? <laughs> it is interesting. I don't know. <laughs>
0: it has happened in both films so far. <laughs>
1: is that is, is that a thing we need to be more broadly aware of? Um, I, I in terms of of part of the ex- the experience, the trans experience, like that you that is a mountain you have to climb. This this uh, a particular relationship trope, I don't know, but it's uh, I, it's really interesting to watch, and I I think he is a he's an interesting character. There's another. Uh, bit to the story. He's a Native American character and I'm not sure I can wrap my head around the whole Native American sort of honor and warrior subplot and the relevance that it has to the, to the road movie and the trans story in itself. Did you, did you have any feeling around that?
0: You know, I I didn't get a good sense of it either, but what my, what my take on it was, I mean, he, there's obviously some symbolism as he gives this hat, this cowboy hat to Toby, which is kind of a warrior's, it was a warrior's hat is kind of the story and my sense is that he comes into the film in a particular place where these two characters both need a little bit of a boost. Uh, and I think having a man kind of fall for her a little bit, I think helps Brie kind of step up a little bit and just kind of lift herself a bit. Likewise, I think that there are some interesting conversations between Calvin and Toby about, uh, you know, when. Toby's trying to warn him about Brie, how she's not giving him all the information about her and all that stuff. And and he kind of explains it in a way that I think is really just smart, where it's like, um, you know, hey, I've got secrets, too. We all have our secrets. And, you know, if she ever wants to tell me, then she'll tell me. And that's just the way it is. And I, I think that there's something in kind of the the transfer of the warrior's hat. I, again, I don't know how the Native American aspect really ties in, but the fact that he gives his hat to Toby, it's just kind of giving him a sense that, you know, he's starting to understand. He's starting to grow up and, and might be getting to a place where he can kind of handle some of this a little better and some of those thoughts about, you know, we all have our secrets and, and let it go. I liked that aspect of it, especially as it builds these two up before we get to the next stage, which is Phoenix. Okay, Phoenix. <laughs> this is
1: where the whole movie falls so completely flat for me, Andy. The whole Phoenix thing, Fionula Flanagan and Burt Young are, like, as her parents, and Carrie Preston is Sydney, the sister. Uh, the, the whole locus of family for the movie is, is where everything just stops, falls into a ditch for me.
0: You don't like the characters? You don't like the way that they're performed? You don't like what happens here? What is it about this that you don't like?
1: I think it's casting. I don't believe a word that comes out of Carrie Preston's mouth in this, in this context, in this film. I have such a hard time watching her try to relate with uh, her now sister. The mother is crazy over the top, right? Now, in my defense... I have never been through this myself either as a parent or as uh, someone going through the the trans change. And so I don't know what it's really like. This may be exactly what it's like with this this family, but I don't know. What I'm saying is the film did not portray and Fiona Flanagan as Elizabeth did not portray for me a uh, a realistic relevant and and emotionally resonant parent that I could, I felt like I could trust, and so the whole thing anchored around her. Their whole home experience was just flat.
0: See, I, I find that so interesting because I think there's just so much interesting stuff going on in Phoenix, and I love these characters. I have such a great time um, uh, of this whole moment when when Bree has to acknowledge that her parents aren't dead; they're living in Phoenix, and uh, and has which to is go great. To we haven't met them yet, yeah. so it's great. No, right. It's great. All that's great. <laughs> but well, right. But then when we meet them, I you know, it's just it's such a an interesting family, and I love the dynamic. I love this Phoenix family. This this way over the top, uh, overbearing mother who really is just kind of, seems to have this, this, um, uh, I don't know if it's more just about all the image and everything and a husband who is really just kind of quiet and does whatever uh, he can to make his wife happy. Uh, and I really bought into it. I mean, I, I feel like there are people like this in Phoenix and I really just see
1: that I love that's loved, in your defense. I don't, I don't know those people
0: yeah there i have seen those people i have uh, worked with these people and i think that it's uh it's very uh realistic i mean i i really enjoyed the characters and i even enjoyed i i think that they went big i mean it's it's it is there is a lot of comedy in this film it is kind of a, a you know a road trip comedy to a certain extent and I uh, I don't know I just loved them I <laughs> thought they were great I it is
1: uh, on this uh, path we uh, diverge I, I Burt Young as Murray the dad it, you know Paulie, I I thought he was he was fine I I really I, Rocky is really the only uh, movie I can think of him in now with the exception of this one even though he has had a robust career uh he was so defined by that role of paulie and rocky that um that it's hard not to see him as paulie in this movie As kind of he's he's a little bit broken and and i think he portrays that character well um so i i found him uh fine i did not find the the uh i think fiona flanagan i think was just she was just too over the top and the sister was in a similar space uh, over the top i just don't feel like i think the sequences were written well like i i get the 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 beats that they needed to get through in this house in phoenix i totally get it i just didn't buy those characters or those performances and they dragged everything else down for me it was
0: tough and to that's get out of. And that is a challenge because if you don't buy into that, I mean, this is a really critical part of the story when the truth is revealed about Bree being uh, Toby's uh, father now slash mother Mm -hmm. and that this is actually his, his grandparents and aunt. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that that you do get out of this scene. And if you aren't buying into it, that does become quite a problem. So, I mean, I, I can understand your frustration, certainly. Again, I don't have the problem with these people. I really love these characters, and I just love this family dynamic. Oh, I think it's just so funny. And there are just so many funny moments and f- funny lines and everything um, all through it. that I it, And it works for me. But, I mean, yeah, I feel for you because, yeah, if it's something that you're not connecting with and you're not connecting with the character, this is a really critical part of the story for it to fall apart.
1: Well, it and and that is what gives you know go, going back to my opening comment, right? I mean, that's what makes this film sort of a, a challenge for me because if you get rid of Felicity Huffman, and I already don't like the Phoenix bit. There's nothing really left in this movie besides driving in a green, you know, uh, family truckster, right? And anybody can drive the family truckster. Uh, And and so it's just, it's just another road movie. And that's, that's why I I go back to uh, the anchor performances is so important. Because everything else is a little bit flat. Except Graham (laughs) Greene. Except Graham and Graham Greene. Right. (laughs) Graham Greene. Let's talk about production. Um, uh, This was uh, executive produced by William H. Macy. And uh, he's obviously married to Felicity Huffman uh, and uh, was a pretty passionate uh, advocate for this film.
0: Yeah, he wasn't actually on as an executive producer. Uh, My understanding was that Felicity was on as the actress and uh bill just hung out quite a bit on set and actually talked to duncan quite a bit and duncan was always every time he had a chance was always grilling uh, uh bill about hey how how would i you know how would i talk to actors about something like this what would an actor expect for this and and got a lot of great advice from him and uh, and it came to a point after they after he screened it for the two of them at their house uh where um bill said well what can i do for you i'd love to help you kind of get this out uh out into the world and and he's was just like hey i would love to have you as an executive producer on it and that's really what helped it i think um get it out into tribeca and obviously getting into the hands of harvey and bob weinstein and that screening and that's how it really ended up getting its distribution so it's it's those little moments and you make a good film and you, you impress uh uh, Bill Macy with uh, how you can uh, direct his wife, and there you go. You're getting deals with uh, the Weinstein's.
1: Stephen Kozmierski is the, is on as cinematographer on this film. Anything of note? How well do you feel like he captured the the landscape?
0: I you know I thought it looked fine as a as a uh, as a road movie. I, I think everything looked pretty good. Um, I, my understanding was that they shot it with uh, Super 16, um, which is just you know it's uh, it's I'm uh, probably just a smaller camera, easier to use. Um, it just gives you uh, a nice look of the color and everything, the film stock. And uh, I, my understanding is that most of this film was actually done handheld. I think that uh, they, you know, between um, Duncan and his cinematographer, kind of felt that it's not like wild and crazy, you know, uh, the sort of handheld stuff we've seen before. But this is just very steady. You know, he's just kind of standing almost like a, a his own tripod, just kind of holding the camera. Um, but it just gives it a sense of uh, a little uh, stronger sense of presence, I guess. Well,
1: it's very documentarian. Yeah. Uh, you know, it and, and it sort of adds a different sort of visual vernacular to the film and i noticed it in particular when they picked up the peyote shaman uh and they were they were skinny dipping and she was sitting on the rocks and there's this this uh, you know as they're wandering around getting their taking their clothes off and then running out into the parking lot after uh the car there is this this real sense of more sort of urgency and and uh, you know to your point presence uh, that that I think is is good and adds to the to the film. I didn't find it a distraction at all. It certainly wasn't shaky cam jiggly monkey.
0: No, no, definitely not. It was it was very uh it was a very fitting handheld. So, mm-hmm. I definitely liked that.
1: Hair and makeup uh end up being pretty important.
0: Absolutely, really just helping with this further transformation. And I mean, for me the key is the uh is Jason Hayes and Gerard Kelly, the uh the two wig makers who um really did an amazing job designing this wig for Felicity that i mean they my understanding is they they got a couple human hair wigs and then they plucked out like 40% of the hairs to really kind of create this flat look that really kind of felt like uh, a middle-aged man who had grown his hair out you know and it yeah. just it really looked perfect it really looked the part um so I really, you know, kudos to them, and also to Lynn Campbell and Heidi Kulo, the others in the hair makeup uh, team, to really kind of help Felicity really get this transformation to become a man in transformation to become a woman. <laughs> it, it, That's quite it the a makeup,
1: challenge. yeah, totally. The makeup to that point too is fantastic because it's not fantastic. Uh, you know, you, you can see her struggling sort of sequence to sequence. Sometimes she gets it right. Sometimes she doesn't quite get it right. Her lipstick is always kind of off. You can tell that she's learning uh, about how to do these things. And, uh, we, you know, one of the points that that came up in some of the 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 trans support that was lent to the film is that, you know, when you have somebody who makes this change kind of all at once— they go shopping and buy all their clothes and all their makeup all at once, all at the same time, in these huge shopping sprees, because you have to get a whole new wardrobe and all new makeup. and you have just about as many hits as you have misses. and sometimes you know, when you're learning to, to do these things to, to make up your face in a, a, you know in middle age, um, you, you don't always get it right, and I think they, they really
0: nailed that experience exactly yeah it looks like what i would look like if i tried putting makeup on <laughs> It, <does.
1: laughs> it does. as as i was imagining oh right <laughs> yeah yeah uh danny glicker is behind the costumes for um, brie and and i loved you, you know how he talks to uh, about her he says that that felicity has this gorgeous body and is so petite when i first met her i thought how am i gonna do this she's gorgeous we did lots of little tricks. I dropped her waistline slightly, so her waist was sitting at her hips. Um, uh, Felicity has a gorgeous tiny waist, but of course, her character Bree has a more masculine waist, and, and and those are the things that make her, you know, make her look a little bit taller. I I really noticed that again in the bus stop scene when she has to kneel. She's taller than everybody at the bus stop, and, and she just is not that tall. I mean, it was just a it was a great trick of the eye.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, is filmed in uh, your neighborhood?
0: Some of it was, yeah. They filmed uh, L.A., New York, and uh, Arizona, which is where Duncan Tucker happens to be from. In fact, um, this was such a low budget film that uh, when they were filming at uh, Bree's mother's or Bree's family's house in Phoenix, it was actually Duncan's mom's house, and the the clothing in the closet was primarily all of his mother's clothes. And <laughs> so, uh, when they were uh, up in Prescott, which is just north of Phoenix. They were filming at a ranch up there uh, at Calvin's place, and that's a, a, I guess, a friend of theirs and their horses and everything. His brother's truck is what Calvin was driving, um, and in Prescott they were filming at the lake, which is uh, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful area called Grant, the Granite Dells, and it's this lake with just all these rocks just kind of jutting out in really interesting ways all over. And it's just it's one of my favorite places in the state. It's really just kind of a cool place. So it's uh, exciting to see it popping up here, even though I think. Um, I feel like in the film they're talking about it being in New Mexico at that point still. So
1: lies. Liars. I tell you, I know. Music, Andy, your favorite. David Mansfield's behind the music. I does this one you listen to all the time.
0: You know, I have the soundtrack. Um I I haven't listened to it a ton. Um, but I mean David Mansfield, uh, he's a composer who has been around uh for a while. I mean, he's uh, you know, uh I mean, he was composing stuff back like, Heaven's Gate, 1980. Yeah, right. That was his kickoff. Um, and then, you know, uh, working with uh, uh, good old uh, Harold Ramis with Club Paradise. And uh, he's one of those composers that you don't hear of very often. I mean, he's done quite a bit of stuff, but not a lot of stuff that uh, really stands out. Um I, I and again here I mean I think the music works in context of the film but for me this is really about the songs I think that um they just found a, a great blend of songs to kind of fill this movie with from beginning to end. And it's interesting. It starts kind of with, there's some African uh, uh, songs that have an African vibe at the beginning when we're hanging out with with Brie at her place. And you see pictures of kind of African uh, tribes people and stuff like that on the wall. And then as she kind of starts this road trip, it really turns into a lot of these great Americana and country tunes and stuff. And it's just, it's it's such an interesting uh, style of music to choose for something like this. It's not the songs that you're getting in priscilla you know it's and i love that about this movie
1: absolutely it's it's grounded yes yeah the the songs are great but they're very much grounded in in the humanity of the of the place uh and and so much of what was so successful about the music in priscilla is that it was not grounded Uh, it was that that contrast that makes it work and in here it's it's the in, in fact the the Way these things compromise the music and the and the space compromise with one
0: another. I think it works really well. Uh,
1: and uh, Dolly, ah uh, yes, close uh, the closes closing credits on Dolly.
0: And that's a fun little story too, because uh, Duncan was just like, "Oh, it would be great if we could get Dolly Parton to sing a song for this." And uh, and he asked her, and and uh, it was just one of those things. Like he sent he told her about the story and 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 sent her the cut, and she's like, "Oh, this is great. I'd love to do a song for you." And they just happened to have perfect timing for like one hour to meet and talk about it. And she's just like, and she was on tour and she's just like, well, tell you what, I can um, make a detour on my tour for one day and I can go down to um, the my studio down in uh, Tennessee and... And I, I can have a day or a couple of days to record a song um, and, uh, you know, you're welcome to come. And, and so like within a week, she had kind of written this song and he went down and, and they hashed through it and they recorded this song. And then she went back on the tour and everything. And, and here it is. And now, you know, she ended up getting an Oscar nomination for this song.
1: And speaking of awards, this uh, this film uh, certainly was looked at a lot.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, like I said, Dolly did get an Oscar nomination for her song, Traveling Through. This was the year, though, it was hard uh, to beat It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp from the movie Hustle and Flow.
1: So. Because truth. I mean, it is hard it is. out here for
0: a pimp. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so, yes, that is the song that won. Uh, Felicity Huffman did get an Oscar nomination for her performance, um, but she was robbed uh, Reese Witherspoon won the Oscar that year for Walk the Line. Now, I like Walk the Line. I like Reese Agreed. Witherspoon in Walk the Line. I uh, uh, I completely agree with William H. Macy that Felicity was robbed. I mean, this was not a, uh, a, a the year that Reese needed her Oscar. If anything, nope. give it to her for Wild. But this yep. this is totally the year that Felicity should have won an Oscar.
1: Absolutely could not agree more. This this was this is one we will look back on in pain year decades to come.
0: I mean, is here's who she was nominated um, against, other than Reese Witherspoon, who won. Judy Dent in uh, Mrs. Henderson Presents. Um, I didn't see that one. I heard she was good. Uh, Charlize Theron in North Country, and Keira Knightley yeah. in Pride and Prejudice. I mean, she's great. That's a brilliant film. I love Pride and Prejudice. But this is the sort of performance that you win an Oscar for, folks. I mean, this is just a truly transformational role. But yes, it did win a number of other awards. It won uh, Independent Spirit Awards. Uh, Felicity won for that, and Duncan won for best screenplay or best first screenplay um, at the Berlin International Film Festival. It won an award at the Deauville Film Festival, the Glad Media Awards. It won for outstanding film. The Golden Globes. Felicity won for best actress in a drama. Um, National Board of Review Felicity won um, Dolly Parton won for her song at the Phoenix Film Critics Society Awards so kudos to Phoenix of all for places for recognizing exactly uh-huh. um, and Felicity won a satellite award and a Tribeca Film Festival Best Actress, uh, you know, and then Kevin Zegers won a Male Revelation Award at the Cannes Film Festival. So, I mean, that's just the awards that it won. I mean, there's tons of others that it was nominated for. This was a a very well recognized film because I, you know, like you said at the beginning, Duncan uh, kind of took a risk and and, and made a a, a strong uh, story with interesting characters.
1: Yeah, totally. We mentioned the the trans support. Uh, on this film, to help Felicity uh, and and to help sort of frame the context of the film. That came from Calpurnia Adams and Andrea James through their company, Deep Stealth Productions. I'm not entirely sure what Deep Stealth Productions is doing now. It seems like they've pivoted from this kind of consulting thing, and they're doing—I mean, I know both of these um, women are writing a lot. They are— very active in the in the trans community and very vocal and opinionated, uh, and uh, are even just a few years ago uh, were totally embroiled in in you know another media controversy. You search for either of their names and you will see that they are embroiled in in controversy uh, and and um, certainly outspoken. Um, but it's worth noting that uh, it, it's these two women that that helped to shape Felicity's. Uh, performance here calpurnia adams is in the uh, she is in the the party in dallas she's the the owner of the house and andrea james is the voice coach that we see in the first shot um and so we we get them both in this film uh in addition to their role as
0: consultants interesting very interesting that is interesting how would it do in the box office well, Transamerica cost a cool $1 million to make. Uh, definitely an indie movie made for the passion of the story. Uh, the Weinstein Company ended up getting it uh, the distribution rights at Tribeca, and they released the movie for an Oscar qualifying run in New York and L.A. on December 2nd, 2005. Then they gave it a limited release on January 20th, opposite Underworld Evolution, and a wider release on March 3rd, opposite 16 Blocks, Aquamarine, Dave Chappelle's Block Party, and Ultraviolet. The movie received relatively positive marks, primarily due to Huffman's performance, and the movie went on to make $9 million domestically and $7.5 million overseas, making a total adjusted gross of $20.3 million. This gives Transamerica an adjusted profit per finished minute of 185734 Definitely a success for this little indie film.
1: Absolutely, and I think on that note, Andy, it's time for us to rank it. Let's do it. Head over to FlickChart.com. Actually, you can just swipe up on your podcast player of choice, and uh, you'll see the the links in our show notes for FlickChart and tap on it. You should tap on it. You can add this film to your account and see how it ranks. It stacks up to our ranking. Uh, Let's do this. What's first?
0: First, uh, you know, this is just a random thought, but do you think that the Transamerica company... The corporation, did did they have any thoughts about uh, their naming after this movie came
1: out? I wonder. I was searching for the film to put it in the show notes links for iTunes. And if you search for it in iTunes, what you get is the movie at the very top and then a sea of red Transamerica logos for all their banking and everything, all the apps and all the links. Yeah, it's pretty funny that, that this is associated quite so deeply.
0: It's just, it's you know, I never would have put like associated like the transgender world with Transamerica until this movie came out, and now yeah. that's all I can associate. That's all you with. think about. Yep. <laughs> oh, so funny. All right. Well, anyway, back to flickchart. Uh, first up, we have Transamerica or Joe versus the volcano. Oh, right out of the gate, man. Wow, that's a tough one. I have I mean, to go I, with Joe.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think, and. N- noting of course that we've got such history with joe
0: yeah and again we've talked about so many great movies on this i just feel so bad that right out of the gate Transamerica is dropping to the bottom half of the list because i think yeah. there is so much good stuff going on in this film i think it deserves to be higher
1: yeah uh, i i do too does that make you want to change your vote no
0: sorry okay, it's Chover's <laughs> just... volcano
1: no no no, it's jover's volcano
0: all right next up we have Transamerica or the host i Trans- am Transamerica. Trans- absolutely yep. Transamerica or What's Up Doc? Transamerica. Yeah, I you know I, I'm a little torn on this one because I had a, such a great time with What's Up Doc. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Transamerica purely for the strength of the performance. I mean, yeah, purely. yeah. Transamerica or oh, there you go. The Night of the Hunter, a little love, a little hate.
1: I think I'm Night of the Hunter on this one.
0: Yeah, I definitely am. Uh, Transamerica or Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I have to go Indiana uh, uh, Jones purely for my childhood uh, glee. I childhood. Yeah, childhood glee. Okay. Transamerica. Oh, or Outland. That was a really fun movie. Uh, I think I'm Outland. I am. Boy, this is a tough one for me. I really enjoyed Outland. Having never seen it before, that became a really welcome addition in my sci-fi collection. I really just enjoyed that film so much. Um, but Transamerica, uh, just really great characters. Uh, I think I'm going to give it to Outland, though. Yes, you are. Yeah.
1: I'm not going to lie to you. I knew you were going to come around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Transamerica or Infernal Affairs. I'm Infernal Affairs. This is t- this is hard. Th- We've had a lot of really <laughs> challenging choices here. Wow. I'm, I'm going to do Transamerica, though, on this one. Okay. It's it's a tough choice for me, but I'm going to pick Transamerica.
1: Okay. You know what? Okay. You can have it. I no, don't even was, I don't even it? want to fight
0: about it. Okay. Transamerica or baseball, Ray? Field of Dreams.
1: Transamerica, please.
0: Field of Dreams for me, baby.
1: Uh. You chicken.
0: <laughs> All right, you ready? All right, here we go. Oh, I'm ready. All right. 1, One 2, two. Three, three. Paper. Rock. Oh. Hmm. That's okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that lands Transamerica. <laughs> <laughs> lands <laughs> Transamerica at 175 on our flick chart. I think that's a pretty, uh, I mean, I, I wish it was higher because of that Jovers Volcano uh, entrance uh, that we had for the battle. But you know what? I'm still okay with it. It's surrounded by a lot of movies that I love, so I feel like it's in a good spot on our charts.
1: I I could not agree more, and I too am lamenting the Joe block. Uh, but you know, you got you got to fight that you got to fight the fight that's in front of you, Andy.
0: That's all you can do, man. That's all you can do. It's all
1: you can do. It's all you can do. So there we are. Where does this stand on your letterbox?
0: You know, this is one. I feel like I, I, I'm torn if I'm giving it a, a, a high review or um, uh, just being nice or what. But I feel like I'm giving it four stars. And I, I think that might be a three and a half with a half star of Andy Love.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to tell you, I, I, I could have predicted that. I, I actually, I, I thought you were going to give it the four and a half. Oh wow! I was okay. pretty sure it wasn't a five-star movie. I thought the half star would be at the uh, uh, up above four. For me, it was a three-star movie with the uh, the half star for Felicity's performance. Like this is a movie you should see. You should absolutely see this movie, and you should see it on the strength of Felicity and um, Toby. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I could even truck with your four star. I, I don't even need to. I don't need to do the math. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a fine film and I'm okay leaving it right there. Four stars it is. Uh, and what does that do? This is a, this is a short series of trans films, but as we've been researching them, uh, so many other great films have joined my list, my watch list that I haven't seen, uh, that are, you know, truck as trans films. And I'm very excited about it. We have picked one more for this series. What is it?
0: Yeah, we're going to be wrapping up the series with Tom Hooper's 2015 film, The Danish Girl, starring uh, Eddie Redmayne and uh, Alicia Vikander.
1: Alicia V. Yeah,
0: yeah this Eddie was, uh, R. This is her Red Oscar Red. role here.
1: Yeah, yeah. She 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 plays. She she's it's tough duty. Oof! I'm excited for you to see this one. Yeah, You me haven't too. seen this one yet. No?
0: I I've watched it now in prep for the show. Oh, so. oh, good. I will All I right. will say nothing. My lips are sealed. <laughs> Okay, all right.
1: I don't even want to know. I don't care. I don't care what you
0: think. That's what I thought. Shut up, Andy. I gotta go to bed. Well, at least you don't have to go camping with bugs.
1: Amazon giveth, Andy.
0: As Amazon always doeth.
1: Uh, I'm I'm gonna start out with a middle of the road review. All Do you right. Mind, go Do for mind if it.
0: I break ranks
1: and go three stars? Do it. Uh this is three stars could not relate from March 8th, 2013. This is a good movie, but those looking for a transgender based movie would be better off looking towards another woman. Different for girls, and of course, boys don't cry. As a transgender woman. It's easy for me to want to give this five stars, as there are not many movies with a good, strong transgender lead. I've never met anyone who came across as clueless as Bree does in this movie. Her son shows very strong discontent right off about his stepfather and lets it known lets it be known that he never wants to see him, yet is completely taken back when she reveals that she is Stopped in the town, and he is upset by this. Then she goes to the father's house, proclaiming she's the bringer of good tidings, for his son has come home. Again, dumbfounded to find he just wants to go back to raping the kid. Hello, anyone home? The whole connection between them, I thought, was uncompleted, as it doesn't say if they ever formed any relationship. With disappoint, and it was disappointing to say the least. I would have liked to have seen more. Another woman does a much better job of the long-lost parent returning to surprised kids. I don't want to spoil the movie those for, for those who plan on watching it. It's not a bad movie, just not great. I would suggest watching it on Netflix or renting before you buy. So that it's one of those interesting perspectives, you know, Andy. It's the it's this perspective that I you know I don't I don't necessarily have I I don't necessarily agree with it. But it's been a long time since I've seen Boys Don't Cry, and I haven't seen the other two um, that she references. So, yeah. And so it's, then, it's just one of those
0: things. It's, it's a perspective thing. And, I, you know, clearly yeah. they're taking different baggage into the film and looking at it different ways because I don't I don't even really think uh, I saw it, some of the things that uh, they're bringing up in the way that they think it happened. So. Yeah, I got a one star by movie watcher who uh, says this was the worst in a long time. The acting was fair for what the movie was, but the ideas of the movie were horrific. If you were going to make a movie about someone that is transgendered, then why not get an actual transgender to do it? Also, I was offended by the fact that the boy was gay just because he was molested by his stepfather. Piss-poor directing and storyline. I gotta say, this is one of those moments where it's just like, again, I don't think they're really you know connecting with parts of the story. I don't think that the boy is gay because he was molested by his stepfather. I think he has very messed up uh understanding of sex because of it and and uh and it shows in in you know the people that he is attracted to, men and women throughout the film. Yeah. And um yeah, and the whole idea He also
1: is, happens to have a messed up relationship with money and with drugs and yeah. with I mean, come on.
0: Right, absolutely. Um yeah. and then as far as casting a transgender to do it, you know, I mean I, I guess that's an option, but it's uh you know, I don't I don't know how big the transgender pool is as far as, as actors uh to pick from. And I don't know if it's necessarily necessary. It's a story about a human and and you know, going through a transformation and I think Felicity really uh pulled it off quite well
1: yeah that's that's the trick i i just don't i'm with you i don't know uh what the what the pool is of transgender actors with that kind of uh with reputation yeah you know i mean there's there's something to that uh there there are a number of transgender performers and with the but but i don't know of the uh the the felicity huffman chops yeah right. to win the role yeah so interesting thanks amazon.
0: All right, we're going to play a little game. I'm going to name a series from season six, and you try to guess how many movies from it were adaptations.
1: No, uh, hold on. Hold on. No, it's my turn. Ah, uh, Damn. First up, disease films.
0: Uh, okay. Uh, well, there's The Omega Man and The Andromeda Strain. Um, oh, and Blindness. One more. One more. Um, oh, Children of Men? That's the one. Okay, how about It's Real Life, Jack? Oh, that's easy. Black Hawk Down, Seabiscuit. Betty Davis. Uh, uh, The Little Foxes. Um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Now Voyager. Okay, this one's easy.
1: The Godfather Trilogy. (laughs) Well, The Godfather. So good. Well, we've covered lots of great movies that started out as
0: books. Books like The Danish Girl, Certain Women. Howl's Moving Castle or The Black Stallion. So many great movies from so many great sources, and they're all on Audible.
1: Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time.